You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. We're doing this live from the All England Club. Today is Thursday, day 10 of Wimbledon. Remember, they take middle Sunday off. It's women's semifinal day. We already have one result in. Garbina Muguruza gets to the Wimbledon final for the second time in two years. In between, she won the French Open. And in between all that, not a lot. So uh, say this about Mugu, who's now outside the top 10. Now she'll re-enter with this win. But uh, she peaks at the right moments. Third Grand Slam final in 24 months. Venus Williams is now taking the court against Joe Conta. But I am here with our friend, podcast veteran, now a published author, Paul Anacone. Paul, of course, has coached Pete Sampras and Roger Federer, among others. One of the most knowledgeable figures in this game, former top player himself. Tennis Channel analyst. We've worked together for a number of years. We've worked together every day at this tournament. Uh, it's always fun talking shop with Paul, and now we're going to do it on the record, as it were. So uh, he's sitting right next to me. I don't even just say we'll bring him in now or we'll patch him in. He's right here. Hey, Paul. Glad we're doing this. We're back. We're doing this from the green room, such as it is, uh, here in the TV compound. We should timestamp this before we do anything. Venus Williams just started against Conta. If you hear background noise, that's what it is. Um, we just had our first women's semi. What? Uh, let's start with the women's draw since it's Thursday. What? Uh, what are you making? Well, I was really impressed with Muguruza today. No, no hiccups at all. Thought she might get a little bit nervous, but with Rabarakova, she hasn't been there before, so she never kept it close enough to see if Muguruza could get the nerves in the system. But Muguruza, so many offense plays from the back of the court, 22 winners, only 11 unforced errors. So for her, it was free sailing. I, I was very impressed with Mugu's confidence and also just with her steadiness throughout the match. What, what do you make of a player like this who wins a Grand Slam, really struggles? I mean, she hasn't even been to a final. 
in 15 months and, you know, 14, 13 months. And now uh, after, you know, she's took 13 losses this year already, and then she comes to Wimbledon and plays like uh, a top-five player. Again, it's so difficult, I think, for when the players, when they break through initially, it's about them trying to get comfortable and confident with their average level. And with Muguruza, when she won the French Open, I think there was this expectation where everything is going to be great. Well, it's not great. You have to figure out how to win when you're not doing well. And look, John, you and I have seen a lot of those matches in the last kind of 13 months when Mugu's not doing well. There tends to be a bit of a meltdown. So now she's getting back to that comfort zone and maybe getting a little bit more confident being at the top of the game. But, boy, if she could hold this trophy on Saturday, that would do a lot for her confidence. Imagine that. You win the French Open. You don't even get to a final. And then the very next tournament you win is Wimbledon. 13 months later. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> I like just, that art. Yeah, peeking at the big <laughs> moments for sure. Um, do you have a quick thought here? Venus and Conta just starting out. We're, you know, not even a game in. Any, uh, my, any my, my biggest question is going to be how is Joe Conta going to deal with the pressure and expectation of the Union Jack on her back? And, right. and that is so difficult. This is her first time in this moment here, a semifinal playing a legend. And I, I think for Joe, it's going to be, how can I manage this? I, I actually think Joe's playing a little bit better than Venus, but Venus's experience in this arena could pay dividends if it gets close at the end of the sets. So Venus is 37. Roger, who's the, we'll talk about in a second, who's the presumptive favorite on the men's side, is almost 36. Talk about this all the time. The Game's never been more physical. The field's getting older. 20 is a new 30. But what do you, what do you think is really driving this? Uh, I mean, yesterday we had the men's yesterday we had the men's quarters. I think six of the eight players were third in their 30s. It's it's for me it's really puzzling trying to figure out okay, if it's physical and taking more out of your body, how are these players playing longer for more years? Right, I mean, right. at this highest level. So it's really it's really antithetical to logic. It just doesn't make sense. But for Federer, I know a lot of it's about managing his body and managing his schedule. And now, John, we're going to see now, what will Novak do? What will Andy do? There's got lingering issues. There's stuff going on with them. You know, they're just, just over that 30-year threshold. So... They want to keep going, but now those guys have that speed bump. So for Murray and Novak, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. For Roger and Rafa, they've been amazing in terms of trying to figure out how to manage a situation, especially Roger because he's so much older than those guys. So Rafa gets to the Australian Open final, has a break in the fifth set, doesn't close, but given where he was not so far earlier, it's 2016, he's got to be happy, goes and wins the French Open here, loses in the fourth round, to Jill Mueller, but it's a it's a big guy who plays the match of his life. I don't think Rafa walks away with his head so low here. On the, on the contrary, who do you worry about more, Andy Andy Murray or Novak Djokovic right now? Right now, I'm more worried about Novak just because I, I I think it's more mental what's going on with him than physical. And I'm a big believer at the top of the game, these men and women can only do what their mind tells them that they can do. Physically, you can heal. You can get through that system and and you can heal. But for Novak, we're seeing a lot of signs that that mental hurdle is what's holding back his consistency. Because we've seen some great tennis from Novak this year. We saw him... First week here, even. Yeah, first week here was terrific. Won the tournament last week. And we saw him beat Dominic Team incredibly badly in the semis Mm -hmm. of Rome. So we know that the level can be there. 
The question is, can it stay there? And that's the next challenge for Djokovic. How long do you worry a, a player goes? This is this is now five. This is five majors without a title, and in you know, in what in four of them he didn't even get to the semis. At, at what point is this worse than a slump? I mean, it's, it's unrealistic for a player to expect to win every major. We see, you know, even Roger went almost five years from one major to the next, from from seventeen to eighteen. But with Djokovic, how long before this hardens into something worse than just a natural dip? Well, I, I think it is a natural dip, and I think the problem is is that we're measuring it to what was, and what was for the last three years was absolutely off the charts. I mean, that was his; he was winning at a historic pace, which maybe, arguably, we hadn't seen before. Maybe Roger in the early two thousand had a similar pace, but for three years, Novak was absolutely ridiculous. So for me, this is a bit of a correction. And it, yeah, is it a slump compared to that? Absolutely. But if he's not playing in final weekends of either of the next couple of majors, then he's got something to really look at to try to get back there. You play the U.S. Open. We were talking about this in, in France. Do you just shut it down? I need some you know, regrouping and recouping, or do you keep going? I was hoping, not, not hoping, but I would have been of the mind to skip the grass myself. I was hoping that after Paris he would not play here and just regroup for a while. For me, I just think it's such a great tournament, Wimbledon, and the reason that you would miss it for Novak is to see how you feel missing it. In other words, you go away, you take a step back, and you go, okay, does this now ignite me? Am I really excited to go? Or, eh, I don't really care that much that I'm missing it. Either way, yeah, one way or the other, it's a great gut right? check. Yeah. You know what's going on, and then he can go into the hard court season, which is his best surface, and be extremely motivated and ready to go. Or if the fire isn't rekindled, then you take a longer look at what you need to do. So, so I want to ask you about Roger, which is something we we talk about all the time. And yesterday he plays this just you know frame it in amber match against Raonich, where he just destroyed the guy who took him out last year with this, I mean, the statue we were joking on the show was just comical. But I, I want to ask you the opposite end of the spectrum, which is, I, I, was thinking about, I, I wanted to write this week, so you're going you're gonna to double as my source here. Um, I want to write a bit about Roger's grit. And I think sometimes talent overwhelms and it's the running forehand up the line that gets the, the highlight shows. That, that's what we're known for, been the oohs and ahs from the crowd. But there are a lot of players who have a ton of talent who don't then alchemize that into results. Um, talk about Roger's persistence, work ethic. I mean, I, I feel like we we talk all the time about the brilliance, but there are a lot of players who have talent. What enables him to get the results to match the talent? Well, you nailed it yesterday. We got to see both. We got to see the artiste, the poetry in motion, and then that third set, we got to see the grit facing four break points, got out of that game, got down 3-0 in the tiebreaker, and gritted and gutted his way through that. So you got to see both. The thing with Roger is it looks so easy, so we forget how much he's competing. Rafa, you see the huffing and the puffing exactly. and the chugging. Right. And the and Roger, we see this guy floating around the top of the court surface where we're not even sure his feet or touching the court. It looks so effortless. But I tell you, one of the biggest traits that I found when working with Roger Federer is his ability to stay in the moment. And then one, once that moment is gone, it's gone. It doesn't linger. I've never seen anyone that detaches from what just happened so well in such a healthy manner. What I mean by that is he can have brutal losses and he can, in the next 10 minutes, 
kind of move on to the next thing in his life. Sure, he'll sit back and evaluate, but he doesn't let things linger. And I think that allows him to really play well in big moments and deal with the adversity and get through and allows him just to dig in when he needs to. He gets focused in on that moment and he competes. But again, it's that artiste side to him that makes us look like, oh, that's just too easy. Well, he's busting his backside. What's his work ethic like? It's, I think it's a, the best way to describe it is he's extremely strategic. He knows his own body and he knows his game so well that he's figured out when to really put in the hard yards and to really kind of grind out long sessions and to get uh, the physical work done. Pierre Paganini's been with him now for, boy, it's got to be, you know, 18 years or something. He's been with him forever. So Pierre Paganini's a maestro at doing the strength and conditioning knows how to do it in a periodized way so that he comes to the majors in the best possible shape. So I think the biggest thing Roger has going for him is he understands his mind, his body, and his style of play, and he trusts that. He doesn't ever panic. If, if someone asks you, if someone said, does he have grit? 100%. 100%. Uh, where do you think that's grit? What's, what's that coming from? I think that's because he loves the game. We forget... Uh, to, to look at the grit sometimes because he actually loves to hit tennis balls. Some players are driven by the competitive aspect. Some players are driven by the accolades of the result. And some players are driven by what they love. Roger loves the game. So for him, the competition, I believe, is secondary. The playing, uh, it, the love for the playing is what drives him. You look on, on Rafa's face, to me, that looks like a competitor that is a blue-collar, workman-like grinder that's rising to competition, which is a different methodology. Pete Sampras was someone that loved the challenge of trying to achieve something significant. I, I think I wrote in, this was in 2008, I think I wrote in my book that Nadal likes to compete, Federer likes to perform. Is that too simplistic, especially nine years later? No, I mean, the way I look at it is... You know, I used to categorize, someone asked me the difference between kind of Pete Sampras and Roger. And the most simplistic way to describe it for me was Roger's a sportsman, Sampras was a gladiator. Pete didn't want anything to get in the way to get in the way of the result. Roger enjoyed the ride that would get him to the result. Didn't mean that he didn't compete as hard, but he's a sportsman. He loves it. Whereas Sampras was like, this is what I'm going to achieve, and this is how I'm doing it. And nothing's going to waver from there. I'll, I'll go a step further. Do you think being a sportsman and having these outside interests and going to this dinner and meeting this celebrity and sort of the, everything that comes with the job that Roger really seems to embrace, do you think that has the effect of prolonging things? I think it's helped Roger because he embraces all that stuff. You see him, and we see him in the media things. He's genuinely pretty thoughtful. He's He's done this a million times, right. and he still comes right. in. And if you ask him a good question, he gives it a thought. You know, it's not just the patented press a button, give you the answer. So I think he embraces that part of the responsibility of being a great athlete. And because he embraces that, he embraces this. Look at his sponsors. They love him. He's great in the cocktail party. He enjoys meeting people. He's a citizen of the world. We've all heard these stories it's about, just, uh, you know, they ask him to stay for half an hour hour and 90 minutes later he's, he's still, still taking business Look, cards I, I've, yeah, I've, I've been there with him I've seen it firsthand, and I, I just think he does that because he truly enjoys it and he embraces it and because he enjoys it it makes the competition it makes the rigors of what these athletes go through much easier to deal with well you mentioned Pierre Paganini 
who I always thought was sort of one of the most underrated figures in tennis. We talk, and, and we'll talk a bit about this, how you know players' f- physical durability has become so important. We've seen so many players injured. We haven't really seen that with with Roger. I mean, granted, he has a, a limber body, maybe in a way other players don't. He plays with a style that probably you know militates against Syria. But I, I feel like this Pierre Paganini is sort of tennis's great uh, unsung hero. I agree. I mean, I, I got to work with Pierre firsthand for almost four years, and it was such a treat to watch him kind of formulate off-season training blocks to figure out what make, what works and why it works. And for me to listen to him why it works because of Roger's body, his athletic skills, the way he plays tennis. And what's really interesting, John, is you know who else he works with? Stan Wawrinka. Two Paganini. To- yeah, 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 yeah. Two totally, totally different, different body athletes, types, right? too. But yeah. Stan has been pretty darn healthy as well throughout his whole career. And, and he's been able to play a lot of long, brutal matches and his body has been holding up pretty well. So you look at Paganini, and he's able to deal with the artiste of Roger Federer, and he's also able to deal with someone that's a little bit... The linebacker. Yeah, so so he knows how to manage body types and styles and train them so that they maximize their capabilities. What um, what do you make about the injuries? I mean, it was, it was a story in week one with some of the retirements. To me, that's really more about economics than, than anything else. But yesterday we saw... Two quarterfinal matches really impacted. You know, in Murray's case, he was barely mobile, and I think we all saw him and said, if this weren't center court at Wimbledon, he probably wouldn't be out there. And then, obviously, Novak retiring early in the second set. Is this just, hey, listen, it's sport, it's physical, it's competitive, injuries happen? Is this something that bothers you as much as it does me? What, it what does, do you think? It's hard, it's hard to, you know, it's really hard to watch. It's hard to put your finger on it. My biggest thing probably... Right now, at this state of the year, when you see it happening, I it's not my field of expertise, but I would love to see the impact and the analysis at this level when you change surfaces. I mean, they've just gone through the initial hard court, then they go to clay, and then and then clay right to here. It's a that to me is a whole different kind of ball of wax because you're using different muscle groups on the grass courts. You need a lot more stabilization and balance. We're not used to the, we've just played a whole season of elongated sliding, longer points, different kinds of stopping and starting. And now you're on the grass and there's a lot of different muscles that need to be in peak form to actually work right. And there's not a big buildup when you get here to play at the world's biggest tournament. May I suggest that skipping the clay in light of what you just said makes all the more sense? Hundred percent. And Rogers, you know, look, he's he's a thoughtful, introspective guy. I'm sure he weighed all of that stuff, and especially after having his experience last year, where he struggled through the clay court season with his knee, and then the back started bothering him, and then he got on grass, and it was even worse. So he knew what it took out of him to try to go from one clay court season to a grass court season and so he was like wait a second let's maximize what i can do and do it as well as i can in the biggest moments and that's a hard thing for a great player to skip a major that takes i tell you what that is a decision that takes a lot of contemplation i can't imagine too many other cases where a guy wins a major and then voluntarily takes him out takes himself out of the second one yeah i mean that that, that tells you that you know his his priority is the process of the big picture and not the moment. And that's why he's still playing this well, 35 years of age. You think he wins this thing? Yes. Two rounds to go. I owe you, uh, finally, 
congratulations are in order. You know why? Why is that? I looked to my left this morning. I saw a completed book with oh, your yeah. name on the spine. That's right. Coaching for Life. I got the proof this morning. Congratulations. This mo- thanks. One of the hard parts is being over here. Things have gotten a little bit of a log jam, but hoping next week it's going to be out. One more proof read, but it's nice to have the content off the computer and in between those uh, I was saying, covers. It's a tangible object, and your, your name is on the spine. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're going to do another podcast when the book comes out in earnest, but can people pre-order it now? Yeah, well, it's going to be able to be pre-ordered next week on my website, paulanacone.com. It's going to be on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, and iriebooks, I-R-I-E books.com. So all four of those places... And uh, so uh, Roger Federer, uh, I saw you got you got yeah. a blur from Roger Federer. That's uh, Roger wrote Pete wrote the Sampras wrote the forward. Roger wrote some nice stuff in there. We got some good anecdotal stuff. So I I look I'm proud of it and I think it's relevant for people that are trying to figure out how to get the best out of themselves and some fun stories that I went through in the last 25 years with some of the greats. So I'm uh, real happy. Good for you. Thanks, that's, John. Uh, that's Paul Anacone. Com, That's it. PaulAnacone.com will be up and running in the next few days. All right. Let's go watch some tennis. Done. All right. That does it for this week. That was Paul Anacone. We thank him for his time. Good talking with Paul about uh, this tournament, about the aging field, and Roger Federer in particular. Thanks to our producer, as always, back in New York, Jamie Lasanti. Thanks to all of you for listening. Always appreciate your responses and your listenership. It's always good fun to do these uh, we will do another one next week. I don't know who the guest will be, but we'll uh, probably wrap up Wimbledon 2017, talk about other topics as well. Thanks, as always, for your suggestions. You can listen to the Sports Illustrated Tennis podcast here. You can order it online. You can get it uh, wherever fine books are sold, Stitcher, iTunes, and feel free to subscribe. Uh, again, I'm John Wertheim, Paul Anacone, and I both thank you for listening Paul's book can be purchased at paulanacone.com and at barnesandnoble.com as well. We'll talk more about his book later on in the summer. But that'll do it for this week. Enjoy the last few rounds of tennis, everyone. From Wimbledon, I'm John Wertheim. Have a good week, everyone. Mm-hmm.